Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am joined by guest Tom Critchlow, who has written a, just an amazing article called The Strategic Independent that is, well, from the subtitle, it's how to do better work for more money, whether you're a designer, writer, or strategist. And I think really shines a light on something that is poorly understood by the vast majority of people who I work with. So I just wanted to have Tom on. So Tom, welcome to the show. A pleasure to be here. Thanks. And thanks for the kind words. Could you tell folks a little bit about yourself, kind of uh, give them some context and background if they haven't come across you before? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm a, a Brit um, by birth, but live in New York City, been here for about nine years. I'm a uh, independent digital strategist um, with a background in um, SEO, content strategy, and digital marketing. Um, I have a three-year-old daughter. Uh, what else do you want to know? <laughs> that's that's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, all right. So, really, this this article uh, this article is just great, and I want to kind of um, start off by by really just working through some basic questions, kind of get your take on it, and we can just move from there. Right. The first one is, what is strategic work in the first place? Yeah, it's a good question, and actually, it's um, it's a it's a core question that I wrestled with in writing this blog post, which is, uh, you know, what is what is strategy work uh, and what is strategic work? Um, I think there's a lot of um, confusion around some of those terms, and I'm not even sure that I have the ultimate definition. But the way that I think about it is. Strategic work is doing work in context, um, and that's kind of the premise of the of the post. Is um, it, as an independent, as an outsider to an organization, whether you're a freelancer, a consultant, a designer, whatever you want to call yourself, you're being brought in to work on some problems. And you know, in kind of classical fashion, there are some known unknowns, and there are probably some unknown unknowns. Um, and I think it's imperative that to do good work for more money, uh, like I mentioned, um, you really need to start to get an understanding of what those contexts are. Um, and you know, those contexts can be things that you might feel comfortable understanding. So you know, I'm working on a website design for a marketing landing page that sits within the broader context of the overall website, that sits within the context of the overall marketing objectives, that sits within the uh, context of the overall business objectives. Um, you know, that feels like a kind of relatively well understood hierarchy of context. But there are also other contexts. So if you're working on, you know, the marketing for this landing page, um, you're also working within the context of, like, say, a VP of marketing. The VP of marketing reports to the CMO, maybe the CMO reports to the CEO. Um, the CEO might even report to a board of directors, an external board, an internal board, it might be co-founders. Um, and I think when you start out and you're like when you're more junior, when you're earlier in your career and you're working on smaller projects, many of those contexts feel irrelevant or you know too abstract or, or too far removed from what you're working on. Um, but my argument is that whatever work you're doing, there is always a set of contexts just adjacent to what you're working on, which can shine a light on uh, how to do the work more effectively, how to do the work that pleases the client better, how to do things that are more impactful for the company. Um, and because of that, there's kind of a one-to-one -one mapping of, of value to money. Um, you know, because you're, you're aware of those contexts, because you're, because you're doing work that is more valuable, you can start to charge more. Um, and that's kind of the basic premise of the work is, is strategic work I define as being, you know, work in context. Um, so that's kind of the, the basic premise. And I drew these, um, these awful little circle diagrams. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a designer myself, so uh, you'll have to forgive the design. But that was kind of the, 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 the thing that I kind of structured the blog post around. <laughs> well, I liked them and I'm not a designer either. So <laughs> they look fine to non-designers. Um, okay. So you started to touch on this, but why do you think, you know, you just said you could charge more, but why do you think that the strategic work is better other than being able to command higher fees? Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of reasons. One of the most important reasons I think is, and I, th I imagine many of the folks will be familiar with these feelings. I've been through these situations as well. There's a variety of things that can go wrong in a project. Um, you know, everything from you're having trouble getting the client to sign off on the project in the first place. You're having trouble actually selling the project in and agreeing on a scope of work or uh, agreeing on a definition for, for goals and objectives. Um, once you've agreed to the work, you might have trouble uh, getting the right access to the right people that you need. Um, you might go through many rounds of revisions of the work that you're working on. Um, you might uh, have a project suddenly canceled out of nowhere. Um, and, and almost all of these symptoms um, are, you know, symptoms of a root cause, which is just not understanding context. There's usually something going on that you don't understand um, or have misunderstood. Um, 
And so, uh, you know, the I, I say better work in the context of work that is more likely to be implemented, work that is more likely to happen, work that is going to be easier, um, and work that will be more, more valuable to the company. Um, and so, you know, I think that um, uh, especially again, in more junior, more earlier on in your career, um, you kind of want to stay in your lane, right? So when you're, if you're a writer, like you, may, you just want to do the writing, you shouldn't do the words, words are your craft. Um, but you're not really cognizant maybe of, you know, the fact that the company you're working for might be making some acquisitions um, or might be about to radically change their marketing strategy. Um, and so the words that you're working on so carefully just won't resonate with the people further up the chain of command because they have more context. They have other context, other things they care about um, that is going to basically like ruin your day. <laughs> Those things are going <laughs> to basically give you a hard time getting the work done in the way that you want to get it done. And so, um, you know, what the, the premise there is that... Uh, a kind of a natural extension of that is that seeing these contexts and being aware of these contexts must then necessarily be part of the job. This is not, you know, kind of like, this is not something other than what you're being paid for. It is not like a like a hobby to have in the evening. You know, understanding the context of the work that you're doing, the context of the business you're working for and the people you're working for it is the job. That is, the, that is where, you know, the work comes from. Mm. So I have a funny anecdote about this, which uh, I think will make a, a real visual, make it visual and memorable. Great. Uh, I was once uh, involved with a a couple that I was, I was friends with a couple who uh, were renovating like a multi-million dollar home. And they had all of these just amazing artisan level um, tradespeople coming in to work on different things. And one particular thing they came in to work on was the kitchen cabinets. And this sort of old country guy with his apprentice son came in and made like the most beautiful cabinets ever in the kitchen. And, uh, and then the wife who owned the house, um, brought in a, a feng shui master who said, oh, like the, the, the cabinets are a few inches too low. So she said, okay. And she went up to the guy and said, can you rip all these out and rebuild them a few inches higher? And th that was, <laughs> that was like the, the cabinet. I mean, this is like, like that's to your, the copywriter whose day is going to be ruined by right. the big picture. And, and it's not like, I think that there's any way that the cabinet maker could have potentially predicted this or like, but maybe, I mean, the person who was the person who was the general contractor on the job was probably aware that, um, the lady of the house was going to bring in a feng shui person and maybe could have been like, well, let's wait. Right. <laughs> until, right. You know, they, and they had to take the cabinet maker had to be bodily removed from the house. It was, <laughs> he was, he was, and did not rebuild the cabinets. Right. But yeah, it's, no, I think but that's, that's great, the thing. That's a great example. Um, yeah. I, I had another example from, this is when I was actually working at an agency um, and I had a consultant working for me. We were doing um, some digital marketing for a client and I remember the consultant coming to me and basically saying, this one client is just doing my head in. All they want is short-term hacks. All they want is short-term growth. Mm -hmm. And it goes antithesis to everything we, we're we working on. You know, there's all this like great compounding work that we can do. We're working on SEO. We want to get, you know, 12, 18 months. We can do such great things for this client, but they just keep ruining my big ideas with this like relentless need for short-term growth. I don't know how to, you know, face this impasse. And I said, okay, you know, this, this seems... Uh, unusual otherwise this client has been mostly good you know they seem to be smart and they get it you know so why do they have this kind of quote-unquote weird directive and so we called a meeting right. with the client and and you know I, I come along and uh you know we bring a bunch of folks to try and you know kind of have this crisis meeting and we say okay what's going on you know what what, what is the mismatch here and the client kind of acted a little bit surprised and looked at us with, with a baffled face and said i don't know why you guys are making such a fuss He's like we're a series a startup and we need to raise a series b in about six months and so we have one slide it's slide number four in our pitch deck and it needs to show a certain percentage growth over the next six months in order for us to like raise the amount of capital that we want to raise at the terms we want to raise and we were like oh <laughs> well that actually makes a lot of sense <laughs> Right. <laughs> like, you know, what had previously been an otherwise sounding irrational and kind of odd request uh, that didn't fit with our model of what we thought their business should be up to. Uh, mm -hmm. It actually made, you know, perfect sense for them to, to act and operate that way. Um, and, you know, even more than that, having been in that conversation, we're now suddenly at a level with the client to be able to discuss, you know, fundraising and business strategy at that level above and beyond individual marketing objectives, right? So actually, the, the you know, ironically, it actually opened a kind of a much more uh, rich and productive dialogue with the client having been in that meeting 
to be able to ask questions about the business that we may not have felt like we had the right to ask otherwise. But having had that meeting, we felt empowered and we felt like we were kind of a, a, an insider, uh, quote unquote, um, to be mm -hmm. able to try and, you know, get that additional context that is going to make our work better. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And this goes into what the listeners are sick of hearing me talk about the why conversation where, you know, people come to you and say, you know, client comes to you, maybe they're going to, you know, thinking about hiring you and like, hey, we understand that you're good at these things that we need done. Um, could you go do these things for us? What's your hourly rate? And I would say, well, yeah, I can do those things for you. Um, but, you know, it, I'm sort of shortening it, but basically that it's like, well, why, but why do them? Like, right. what's the reason? Right. And if they, if they, you know, and if you do, if, if you do it with, you know, if you're polite and you have some, you know how to talk to people and so on and so forth and do, you know, work in a, through a sales interview, you can ask these questions in a way that's non-threatening and that puts you on a level playing field with the, the client. You, you know, you become, you sort of set yourself up as a peer right. and that you're good at what you're good at and they're good at what they're good at. And you're going to meet in the middle and, and make sure that you're achieving some outcome that's desirable for the business and not just do this punch list of things that they're, you know, that they're not actually that great at and therefore are hiring someone from the outside to do for them probably not even qualified to have written that list yeah. and uh, go through those conversations at the beginning to understand that, you know, well, we're trying to get, you know, like your example, we're trying to get a series B and slide four needs to look like this and it needs to be true. Right. So make slide four true is like a great, you know, objective. It's yep. a great, you know, and, and like you said, all of a sudden when you understand the specific desired business outcome, all of a sudden you can, you can go beyond just best practices and, you know, the, the sort of general things that, that craftspeople and tradespeople understand how to do well and apply those skills that you have in an extremely specific business situation in a much more effective way, probably in less time right. than just sort of, you know, building beautiful cabinets without asking exactly, you know, where they should be. Right. Yeah. I mean, or, yeah. I mean, why that's, you that's, even want cabinets. Yeah, there's a great lesson in there about just how much better projects go when you have very clear, true objectives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not a list of deliverables. That's right. not an objective. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit more about uh, about context because, to, to be honest, I mean, I understand what you're talking about because I've just you know just from years of work, but I've never thought about it in in I don't know if I've thought about it in this way. I've certainly never used that as a terminology. So. Um, can you talk a little bit more about the sort of um, the different types of context and I'm going to guess how they could perhaps, uh, you know, conflict with each other where, you know, my project contact wants to get promoted and therefore wants to get this done. But the actual overall objective is to do something different. Like how do those, what about yeah, that? Totally. I mean, I think, um, you know, understanding context is a, is a never ending game. Um, you know, I have clients I've been working with for years, and you know, I'm still uncovering additional context about the business, about the industry they're in, about the way their business operates, about the key players, about the personalities that are involved. Um, you know, I think that's a that's a game that I um, enjoy playing. Uh, I actually really enjoy that kind of interpersonal um, dynamics and and trying to uncover the. Um, uh, you know what some people call kind of the shadow org chart. You know, not the not the the, bo the boxes on paper, but actually the 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 messy you know web of connections that actually powers an organization. <laughs> That's um, great. So I think you know context really does come in in so many different shapes and sizes. Um, you know, and I think I I would say that for the most part, um, probably like eighty or ninety percent of the time, when I personally think about context, it's about people. Um, and, 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 you know, people tend to map pretty closely then to various job functions and, and disciplines and teams and so on. But, um, you know, it's about understanding w what makes everyone tick and, and, and why does everyone care inside the organization? Um, and I might be slightly biased here because, you know, a lot of the work that I do ends up overlapping with marketing work. And so marketing work, you know, that, that understanding of why people care is a thing that, um, you know, is useful for understanding positioning and branding and, and so on and so forth. Um, I think, I mean, even from, from the dev discipline to the software development discipline, understanding who cares and why is super important. Yeah. Oh, and, and people, people are weird. People, are, you know, we, we try and model projects and processes and organizations through this kind of rational lens. Um, 
and then and then you know we actually go talk to somebody you're like well of course of course no one acts right irrationally <laughs> um, you know we all have these crazy biases we all have blind spots we all have you know pet peeves we have uh, things we hold on to longer than we should um, you know and so forth uh, there's another um, fun aspect to that in particular which I think is is, is interesting so you know imagine that you're in, inside an organization you're doing a project and you've been there for let's say a few weeks you feel like you have you're starting to to build this this kind of this shadow org chart you're trying to understand actually okay i think i know actually where the power lies here i think i know who's reporting to who i think i know you know who's holding the influence except, yeah, except who trusts right? whom. I've, I've met the ceo let's say you know you're starting to, to kind of feel your way through one of the biggest things or one of the biggest mistakes i've made in that situation is thinking that you have enough context you know a few weeks in to go say all right i'm going to make a pitch for x or i think there's a much better way to do y and um, you fall flat on your face for a, for a piece of context that, that in particular takes a long time to understand, which is the, the, the embedded history and memory of the organization. Um, mm. And you, know, you can do this with a project that sounds great on the surface, and the first thing that everyone says is, oh, yeah, we tried that two years ago and it failed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and you're like, uh, uh, like, it kind of stops you dead in your tracks. You're like, well, like, A, what did you do two years ago? B, why did it fail? C, it's probably not exactly the same as what I'm suggesting here. It just happens to use some of the same language or some of the same ideas. Um, but that's the kind of piece of context that I think a lot of a lot of uh, people miss. And it can be hard to get at because it's often not written down. You know, it's actually very rare that I come across an organization that has any kind of great, you know, uh, uh, corporate memory or corporate archiving. Oh, yeah. Um, you, you know, even whatever is written down is usually not true. Um, you know, history, history is written by the winners. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that's a thing that you really can only get by talking to people and actually often can only get by talking to people in informal situations um you know over over drinks at the bar out for lunch going for coffee you know this kind of like hey tell me more about what you've done these past few years tell me what happened last time you tried to hire an agency Try, tell me what happened you know like why are we doing this project now why are we not doing a different project um mm -hmm. you know a lot of these kind of what what ifs and whys and questions just exploratory uh, lines of reasoning will uncover some of those things that you know again it may seem tangential it may seem unimportant it may seem as like you know quote unquote soft work um but i see that work as being hugely valuable um to the kind of consulting work that i do in particular of you know trying to affect change in an organization trying to get big projects done trying to get buy-in trying to win hearts and minds you know these are things that are all uh, important and core to being effective and yet if you don't understand some of these these context circles um you're really you know you you run that chance of just kind of you know, stepping on a landmine, basically, and, and you know, suddenly having things blow up in your face when previously you thought you were on solid ground. Yeah, so so speaking of things blowing up in your face, and maybe this is a different type of explosion, but but um, can you talk a little bit about catastrophic events and context collapse? Yeah, so this is um, th this goes back a little bit to that, um, uh, the symptoms uh, thing that I mentioned earlier around, you know, I think a lot of people recognize those, the ways the projects can go wrong. Um, and, it, and one of those key ones, and I, I just kind of pick a, pick a specific example, is when a project gets canceled out of nowhere. So this kind of, I think everyone has been on, on the receiving end of this. So if I thought things were going pretty well. I, maybe things were even going really well. Uh, I thought we were doing a good job. We were hitting whatever targets were in front of us. Everyone seemed happy. Uh, and then the client says, uh, there's a directive, we're going to pause this. And, and it usually comes as a, as a well, it can come a lot harder as like a, this is canceled, goodbye. But like, it's often just much more of a kind of soft tap on the shoulder. Like, hey, you know what? You know, we, they drag their feet renewing the contract. And then a couple of weeks later, you hear like, you know what? Actually, we're just going to make a pause for a few months and we're going to reassess some things. And it's incredibly frustrating because you previously, you felt like you were doing what you were supposed to be doing. Uh, you were hitting the goals, meeting the objectives. And the thing here is that the the circle of influence within which your project existed, uh, in the kind of the, um, the, the 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 language that I use in the blog post, is, is kind of context collapse. Right? It it isn't that your project was going wrong; it's that some other context that contains your project has gone wrong. So a good example of this is is you know like a like a let's go back to that that marketing landing page. You're designing a building, a marketing landing page for a company. You feel like you have a great sense of what they need. You make the landing page, you give them the stuff, and you're just waiting for them to put it live. Uh, you have three more of these to roll out. It's an ongoing thing. Suddenly, the client goes silent. Then they come back and they say, uh, we're not going to put it live after all. And you're like, wait, what? I thought I did a good job. Turns out, likely, their entire marketing objectives have just changed. And because you are only focused on this one very specific piece, you don't, you don't have that awareness. You don't have that context. So... 
it's the, all of this is in argument to say if you want to avoid that situation where things get paused out of nowhere, uh, you need to go upwards in the understanding of context, basically. You have to widen those circles of context that you're aware of. Um, and when you get high enough in those circles of context, uh, you know, when you look down on, on the context that are contained within them, you can see things like, oh, like, I know things are going wrong, but I'm on the outside, right? So it's like the CMO might look downwards and say, you know what, our paid acquisition is just not working. But I'm one step removed, I do more than just paid acquisition. So I still feel secure in my job, you know, my objectives haven't really changed, but I'm going to put this one part of the business into crisis. Like that, our paid acquisition channels are now in crisis. And as a kind of a top-down directive, you know, everything will change for all those people that work on that part of the business, right? Agencies will get fired. People might even get fired. Budgets will change. Initiatives will change. Software solutions might change. Everything will be in turmoil. And if you're in the middle of that, it can feel like a tornado. It feels like everything is like, whoa, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what, I don't, I don't know my up from down. I don't know who to trust. I don't, you know, I feel betrayed. Blah 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 blah. But if you're out, if you're outside that context, then you know you you feel relatively immune to those things and have probably been planning these things for months. You know, it's not it's not news to you that these things weren't working or are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. There's certain things that happen that almost almost always spell doom. If you're if you're someone from the outside, you're on any kind of like long term project. But if there's a shakeup at the top or a merger or a split. Or anything like that, it's like hope for the best, but plan for the worst because everything is basically the, the, the game board's been thrown up in the air, and ma- totally. maybe your piece will land back on the board, but don't count on it. Yep, yeah, totally. That um, uh, in particular, your point of contact leaving the business is a is a is a uh, it's almost impossible to forget overcome. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a, there's another aspect to all of this though, which I think is interesting. So. You know, basically what I argue in the post is that, that this understanding of context allows you to do quote-unquote strategic work, right? So let's take the example of a, of a copywriter. You think about, you know, writing an individual blog post for a client might be 200 bucks. Uh, as you grow to understand a little bit more about how and why the client is writing blog posts, you might be able to author a style guide for all of their blog posts. Let's say that's $2,000. Like a, like a, you know, a 10x uh, a magnitude of money you're able to charge. Uh, as you go from understanding the context of why they're writing blog posts to what their mar- broader marketing objectives are, you might be able to do a content strategy for $20,000, right? So another 10x kind of level up of, of, uh, of dollar value. Um, and, you know, there's a couple things that, that I'd advocate for. One is like, you know, if you just want to look after yourself, obviously it makes sense to be doing content strategy, not writing blog posts, um, you know, because <laughs> you're going from 200 bucks a piece to $20,000 a piece. Um, but I think there's another, there is another layer here, which I think is really important, is it isn't just about the money, right? And a lot of people don't want to do what might seem to them empty or, you know, corporate speak strategy work, right? Um, and, and I think there is this kind of resistance to strategy work as an abstract discipline um, that especially kind of, you know, practitioners, people that love the craft, people that got into this for the love of the thing itself, uh, push back on. And so what I think is really interesting about this context argument is it, it, it makes the craft better when you do strategy and execution as a kind of combined thing or when you think about them as, as things that interact and play with each other. And, and one of the, so we talked about this, you know, this failure mode of projects being paused out of nowhere. But there's another failure mode which many practitioners and people that love the craft and really want to focus on the execution get wrapped up in, which is they get brought into a project too late. And, um, you know, many of the, much of the strategic direction has already been set by the client. And they say, we need a website that does X, Y, and Z. And the, and the, the senior web designer says, well, hang on a second. What about these other objectives? What about these other ways of doing it? What about these other ways of thinking about it? And the client says, nope, we already discussed this. This is the way it's going to be. We already, we already figured this out. Um, and yeah, here, can, here are the blueprints, just build a building. Exactly. Yeah. And that can be frustrating. Um, and so even if what you care about is a craft, you can find yourself in those frustrating situations. And my argument is, well, then you have to get involved in the strategy work. You have to get involved in the strategic piece because that is often what happens first in a project. And I've got this, again, uh, ugly little hand-drawn chart in my blog post of, you know, showing these two lines. You can think of, you know, a project starts with strategy, uh, uh, kind of a peak uh, of strategic activity. Mm-hmm. quickly shifts into uh, you know a whole bunch of execution work yep and then goes back into a strategy phase at some key moment right when either priorities shift or there's just a natural review point or whatever it might be 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's kind of a few things when you look at this chart um, uh, to realize is that one is what we just said, which is, you know, if you only focus on execution, you get bored in too late. If you mm-hmm. only focus on execution, then things get paused without your understanding. Um, but there's the flip side of that, which is that if you only do strategy work, there isn't enough work to go around for you to get from the first peak to the second peak. Right? Um, <laughs> okay, I have to interject here, even though I promised I wasn't going to talk about money. <laughs> yeah, 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 please. So if you don't, if you do fixed, pr- so in fact, this graph that you're talking about, it's a, and for, for readers who go to the article later, um, you know, we'll link to it in the show notes. There's a, it's a green line with a big peak and then it gets low with like a sort of middle peak, a lower, lower middle peak, very low middle peak. And then like a big peak at the end. And that graph grabbed my attention, I think stronger than anything in the article, because that's exactly what my, my, cause I've been doing strategic work for a long time, mm-hmm. you know, for years I was doing mobile strategy consulting. And whenever I'd have a project engagement for strategy, it was exactly like that. It would be really busy at first. It'd be really busy at the end. And in the middle, it wasn't that busy. It was execution was happening. I didn't do the execution. Other people did the execution. Right. But the, the, the reason why I didn't care that it slowed down. In fact, I liked that it slowed down was that I charged a fixed price for the whole thing and I got paid in advance. Mm -hmm. So if it slowed down, that just means I had nothing to do or it wasn't nothing, but it was just much easier, you know, a half an hour a week, maybe if you, uh, if you have, uh, if you're a soloist, like I am and was at the time, then you can absolutely do very well financially, uh, in between those peaks because you're setting a price for the whole, the overall thing. You know, mm-hmm. and, and for me, it was still time-based in the sense that it would be monthly retainer uh, or be, it, I would do a fixed price for the whole project. But usually when I was doing oversight, you know, like where I kind of, I'm the architect, here are the blueprints. Now they're going to start building it and I'm going to walk around on the site and make sure that they're building it to, to the plan, yep. make sure that things don't go out of, off track. But really, I, mostly they do. Mostly there's not a problem. So mostly I'm just sort of walking around, you know, and it's, it's valuable because it's taken as insurance that to make sure that the project is going to succeed or at least uh, improve the odds that it's going to succeed. But I didn't like the idea. I didn't like doing both strategy and execution, especially, you know, I only, I think I only did it once and I immediately recognized the error of my ways Mm -hmm. because when you're building the plan or say, say I'm helping design the plan and then I'm going to build the thing that I planned, there's this um, potentially a perception of kind of like, you know, hey, I'm here to advise you to pay me more money doing the execution. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like easy to imagine that someone would advise that you spend more money with them. You know what I mean? And I didn't like that feeling. But to your point, it is true that there that that the execution does happen in the middle and there's a lot of stuff to be done there's there's really good uh cash flow in execution work because it's a lot of work you know it's it takes time and i think so there's a really interesting concept here which um i think you know when you're talking about like a like a building something more tangible or more concrete and i don't mean that like it actually has to be like physical like it could be a mobile app or it could be a website or something you know where you kind of know when you're done um I think what you just described makes sense and can be a more well-understood model. Um, I work in in marketing and uh, kind of digital strategy, and the projects that I work on are much less well-defined, and there are often no clear, tangible kind of outcomes as much as just improved systems. Well, I wouldn't, I mean, just to to mince words, I wouldn't call that a project. To me, a a project has a beginning, middle, and an end. Uh, Yeah, I mean... some of my projects don't end, I guess. So I guess it's just a, <laughs> to, to, whatever you want to call that. An advisory engagement, I would call that. Yeah, an engagement. Sure. Yes, an engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I was getting at was um, there's this great phrase that I completely stole from uh, these folks called the Helsinki Design Lab. And the Helsinki Design Lab, which has, has kind of shut its doors now, but was a, a group of um, architects, urban planners, and design thinkers um, in Helsinki. And they wrote this book um uh, kind of the, the outlining their thinking about systems change in particular. And there, you, you know, I think architects and urban planners are especially um, attuned to this, which is every, there is a very, very complicated system at work. And any kind of work you do in that system changes the system. 
uh, the feedback loops all over the place. You know, you have governance, you have different stakeholders, you have uh, requirements for buildings, you have um, you know the the population at large, you have uh, capital investment. All these things are, are kind of playing all at once in in the uh, urban environment and architecture. And they wrote this thing, and and one of the concepts they used was this thing called strategy and stewardship. And that is a concept that I've, I've language that I've stolen for the work that I do, um, as I think about systems change in particular, um, and you know, thinking about a client engagement. I'm not going to say projects, but a client engagement where <laughs> where there is much less of a defined outcome. It is much more of a we know the things that are broken, but we don't know the th- we don't know how to fix them. We might not even really know the things that are broken or why they're broken, um, and we know some of what we need to have improve, but we maybe also don't even know some of the things that we need to improve. Um, those kinds of engagements are the ones that I love, and I, I get very heavily involved in those. And for those, I think the interplay between strategy and execution is a little bit less clear. And actually, this is what this is the idea of strategy and stewardship, which is that the execution often gets treated as a kind of a, a lesser, cheaper, more commoditized activity. And their argument is that if you reframe execution as stewardship, of stewarding the strategy into life, it becomes much more like a kind of rapid feedback loop between doing things and learning, doing things and learning, doing things and learning. Uh, interesting. will make the whole project better, will make the whole uh, system work more smoothly. And the the uh, some of the key insights around that are that you know you're constantly throwing off a series of learnings which are very useful for whatever you want to call the stakeholders the executive team or the city council or whatever that that kind of you know stakeholder set is um and so by throwing continually throwing off these kind of deep insights and learnings you can basically gain the air cover you need to keep going and that, that, you know i don't do anything to do with urban design urban planning architecture or you know any of those kind of like super complicated systems but when i come into a client that maybe has you know 50 or 100 million dollars in revenue you know several hundred maybe a thousand employees uh, and i'm tasked with either building a new team or building a new process or fixing a kind of problem at large uh, you know, those that feels plenty enough like a complicated system to me. <laughs> and, and, and so thinking about it with this kind of strategy and stewardship lens uh, really helped me. Uh, it helped me do two things. One, it helped me understand that I both need to do the strategy and then I need to stick around and be still be heavily engaged with the, with the client. But also, importantly, for, for uh, you know, the folks who are listening to this podcast, which is I charge the same day rate for the whole graph. For the strategy and the stewardship and the execution, I charge uh, the same day rate for the whole thing. I don't try and charge more for the strategy work because I don't place it. I don't see it as more important. It happens first and it happens last, but it doesn't. It doesn't supersede the execution. The ex- you get a ton of uh, you know by having senior people overseeing the execution and being involved in the execution. You throw off these kind of key insights and learnings along the way, which makes the whole thing better. Um, so, so anyway, the, the, that concept of strategy and stewardship is one that I wanted to kind of bring up and, and just say that I've been a huge fan of and give a shout out to the Helsinki Design Lab. Mm, that's cool. I mean, we we have a we could have a, a fun conversation around that because I'm not sure I 100% agree with. I, honestly, I think there's a uh, I think there's a slight semantic disconnect that's that is leading to me not necessarily agreeing with that because I think that. And so I just want to like put it on the table because listeners are probably like, um, (laughs) the, to me, the, I think absolutely the strategy is more valuable. Uh, But when I say more valuable, I mean that it has, if you have the wrong strategy, that is going to have massive downstream effects. So if you mess something up when you're designing the assembly line, let's just say, to pull it back to a physical metaphor, Mm -hmm. you're going to have major problems when you have to recall all those BMWs. So if you mess something up, which isn't to say that the things that you learn during the execution process and the insights that you learn and sort of, especially for folks who do iterative development and you don't necessarily know upfront exactly what you're going to build. It's not a waterfall process. It's an agile process and you're going to learn things and those insights are going to flow back up to the top. That absolutely increases the value of the execution. No doubt. Right. No doubt about it. And the overall and this is where this is where the word value gets a little tricky the overall amount of money that they will spend on the execution is more than they'll probably spend on the strategy no right. doubt about that either but from a profit profitability standpoint for the person who's doing the selling the like by far hands down the more the more valuable more i should say <laughs> I, did, I just did it the more profitable piece is the strategy piece 
making the uh, the blueprint is way less work. Like you know, let's let's just say just to throw around numbers out there, uh, it costs ten thousand dollars for the blueprint, and it's going to cost a hundred thousand dollars to build the house. Which one's more valuable? You know, that's why it gets weird because they're going to spend a hundred thousand dollars to build the house, so that's more money, but it's also a lot more work. So if I'm doing both, if I'm creating the if I'm creating the blueprint, takes you know I I trained for for forty years I have this massive expertise built up and I do the blueprint. But also I was a builder and a carpenter and I've done all these things too. And I can do the, I'm do everything. I'm the jack of all trades when it comes to building houses. And you know, I can, I can come in they'll probably pay me more to build the house. But the, if you, if you subtract my labor, my time as a cost from that, I made more. If you want to break it down to hours, I made more on an hourly basis for the blueprints than I'll ever make building houses. Totally. Yeah, and okay. I, I think, I mean, listen, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think, um, you know, the, I would encourage readers to, uh, listeners, sorry, uh, to, <laughs> <laughs> to go and read the strategy and stewardship. The, I've linked to the Helsinki Design Lab uh, uh, ebook. It's, it's free to download. It's just PDF that anyone can, can download um, in my blog post. And I'd say, go read it. And, you know, see, see for yourself if anything there rings true. The one thing I will say, and I, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this, is so let's go back to that example of the, the building the house, right? You make the blueprints, and that is the highest profit margin activity you can do. And they spend the most amount of money in the shortest amount of time making the blueprints. Mm-hmm. I'm not That's arguing with that. So yep. Maps of my own work. Yep, great. Uh, and then you say, okay, well, I, I can also do the cabinets and lay the foundations and so on. But I think there is also some kind of middle ground, and especially for individuals and solo consultants, people who are you know, they have a mixture of skills and, uh, you know, not like trying to, they don't need to commoditize things uh, uh, overly so or productize their work uh, uh, overly so. I think there is a middle ground of stewardship, if you think about it as like, you know, strategic oversight of execution. For example, in the house building exercise, you could say, okay, I made you the blueprints, but I, I can also, I can hire you a foreman I can do like a strategic assessment of which plot of land is going to be best to build these blueprints in. I can do like a safety inspection, which is a very high value work, let's say, and I'm kind of making mm-hmm. this up because I know nothing about building buildings. No, no, you're um, right. You're, we're in total agreement. In fact, you use the word that I use, which is oversight. Right. So, so if I'm in there and I create like, uh, let's say, uh, a system architecture for uh, a, a mobile application, a whole, you know, a whole SaaS with a mobile application and so on and so forth. They can just sort of run with it and go hire their own team or, you know, well, they're always or they have in-house or whoever. I'm not going to build it. Sure. There was a day, there was a time when I would have built it, but, you know, I'm not going to build it. But if you want me to exactly like you said, you want me to to as as someone who's uh, an expert in the space, understands the business goals, helped define the strategy and you're and they're about to spend 10 times what they spent with me for the, for the blueprint, let's call it, mm-hmm. they're going to spend 10 times that on some external agencies or uh, internal salaries to build this thing that still needs to achieve this goal that we're shooting for. Absolutely. Yeah. People, people paid me. In fact, that was the lion's share of my income for the past 10 years was hanging around right. for those sorts of things to like, you know, not building this stuff and, you know, deciding what they build or what they don't build is, is no, there's no financial motivation for me one way or the other, whether or not they do it like this or like that. But there is a, there is a, an outcome based motivation for me to, to, I want the, 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 the blueprint to be successful as a, as a building at the end of the right. day. Right. And I wanted to achieve the goals that the client wanted when they came to me in the first place. And then there's a phase after that, after the building's built where you do support and maintenance. So you're like changing the toilet paper rolls and mopping the floors and stuff, Yep. which is another, which is another, um, which is the next level down, I would say. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think we're in, I mean, you know, a lot of this is just language for the same kinds of things, and I think we're very much yeah. in agreement. Um, the one thing I will say, and one thing that I've heard from people who have tried to make, and you're much closer to this world than I am, but the people that have tried to make that leap from kind of hourly or day rate pricing to more project-based pricing, mm-hmm. and as a result have maybe overly focused on finding those kind of high-value strategy jobs, Mm-hmm. Is is that, that it's much harder to generate a pipeline of those totally. than it is to mm-hmm. generate a smaller pipeline of those, but then stick around for longer doing this strategic oversight stewardship, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I'm not at all saying that you don't suggest that. I'm just saying that I think when people think sometimes and are beginning to think and try and sell project based work and are trying to sell 
value-based work, um, that sometimes that is an error that I've seen, which is partly where my biases come in into trying to, I, I, by the way, this is also an error that I have made in the past, um, which is why I'm kind of overcompensating, I think, in trying to you know, belabor this point and try and explain it to people to say, no, listen, there is a way to do this. And, you know, I personally charge all this at the same day rate. Um, and just in conversations I've had with people, that sometimes blows people's minds when they're like, oh, I always thought I had to lower my day rate for, for the ongoing work. Right. And, and I was like, no, that is absolutely a, 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 an error. And that's actually a point I make in this post kind of in, in multiple different ways, which is understand, you know, doing the work to understand context and being aware of contexts is work. It, it is work that you should be paid for. Um, and, I, and I see especially junior folks trying to give away that work for free, right? Um, you know, they're like, again, let's go back to the idea of the kind of content writer. They're like, well, I'll write you 10 blog posts at 200 bucks a piece. And the client is like, yeah, maybe, maybe not. And they say, okay, well, how about I do all of this research into your industry for free and that's going to make me a better writer. And then will you pay me to do the 10 blog posts? And the client's like, yeah, okay, I guess, sure. And actually, that research into the industry, you could have sold for you know, $5,000, $10,000. Yeah, developers do this all the time, where they, they'll, they'll basically design the entire system, or all the big moving parts of an entire system, just to do a proposal. Right. Or, if for, so they're completely for free. Or they will, you know, whatever, the, the client trusts them without that, and they get the, the gig, and then they'll do the... They'll do the all of the really high value, uh, high profit, early strategy stuff that they know from years of experience. If they don't do it, the whole thing's going to fail. Right, right. They do it at their normal execution hourly rate. Right. And it's like it's just leaving money on the table. Yep. And at the on the, on the flip side, and if you don't grab that money, like if you want to do everything, you want to be the full service agency where you design the system, you build the system, and then you maintain the system, which a lot of developers do. If you don't charge a lot more for the upfront strategy stuff, you're going to find, you know, then you'd left that money on the table. You're going to find later when they're paying you top dollar execution money for support, they're going to start to be like, mm, what are we really paying for here? Right. You know, because that's really, nobody wants to pay for support. It should right. just work. Right. How come the car's not running anymore? Yeah. I thought it should just work. Right. You know, nobody likes paying for support and maintenance, but if you don't do it, yes, the thing will break down. Uh, but it's just not something people are excited to pay money for. People are excited to pay money for having a plan in place. Right. They do like that. Totally. And so giving away for free is is too bad. That's yeah. silly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's a mistake I see a lot of junior people especially make. And listen, I have also made that exact mistake, which is why I oh, think sure. it's me too. Why, Years why, ago. Why it's so painful for me um, is because I'm coming. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking from. I'm speaking to my past self uh, uh, <laughs> very directly as a hey, you idiot, you should have done this. Um, uh, but you know, that's it's it's fine. It's also it's a process of learning. You know. Um, cool. Okay. So there's one one last thing I'd like to talk about that uh, that. Uh, now I've had, you mentioned business expertise and David C. Baker and I've interviewed him on the show and you talk about his idea of letting, only letting clients in through the strategy door, which I'd love if you could kind of expound on. Yeah, I think uh, so. For the, so, so uh, you should definitely pick up this book if you're not familiar. The business of expertise. Um, it's kind of a, a, a pretty easy read um, and very well written uh, for for what is a, a business book. Um, and he has this great concept in there about. Uh, so most of the book is about positioning and he does a lot of work with agencies in particular so thinking about becoming an agency that is known for its expertise and positioning that way and selling it that way and and you know as a consequence getting paid more money and so on so it's it's a relevant book i think for this audience um and it applies uh, i got a lot of lessons for it as an individual um you, you know even though i don't run an agency i'm just a one-man band i got a lot of lessons as well but there's this one concept that really stuck with me in it which and as a visual to go with it that i put in my blog post of only letting clients in the strategy door. And the, the, the thing is this, the, the, the execution and the stewardship and this kind of ongoing work that uh, is going to be where most of your revenue comes from is a thing that you would be, you, like you're tempted to kind of uh, balance your marketing and positioning equally to your revenue. You're kind of tempted to say, well, I make most of my revenue on execution, so I should talk about that, right? I should talk about the execution <laughs> yeah. I, I do, and I should let people know that I do that, and I should let people know that I do it well. And uh, David's argument is that's wrong, and that you should absolutely still do the execution work, but you only let clients start, you only let clients in to begin working with you through the strategy door. Um, and that does a, a, you know, a, a set of things for you, which is you know, somewhat repeating what we just talked about, but you know, it means that 
you can charge better. It means that you get to set the strategy. Um, it means that you get to position yourself as an expert. Um, and importantly, it also gives you the context to do the execution work better. Um, so there's a, bunch, a number of reasons why it makes sense, but um, you know, it's just a great kind of mnemonic or visual to kind of keep in mind, which is only let clients in the strategy. Or by the, the visual, by the way, to explain is there's a, there's a kind of a, 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 um, a two rooms that are connected uh, uh, internally, and each of them has a, an external door to the outside. And, and his argument is you shut the door to the, to the outside on the execution room and only let people in the strategy room. It's, kind of, uh, it's difficult to explain. It's much easier to look at the diagram. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> We've yeah, done a lot exactly. of, that, of that explaining diagrams uh, in words uh, yep. on this podcast, but um, forgive me for that. And so, so one of the ways, I, I just wanted to add to, to, to maybe slip this in towards the end, um, but... Uh, one of the so a consequence of only let clients in the strategy door or maybe a kind of practical application of that that I found super useful and is a thing that um, I only learned about I want to say like a year or a year and a half ago so it's still kind of new-ish for me but it's been really transformative for the way that I sell work and the kind of clients that I work with is I, I start every single engagement now with a workshop and uh, what that means is it's kind of a whole bunch of things that it, that it makes easier for both me and the client. The first thing is that the, the, the thing that I sell clients straight out the gate is a smallish piece of work, right? So it's, it's a very high value piece of work for both of us, right? It's a very profitable piece of, profitable piece of work for me. Um, you know, I'm selling one or two days of my time for a very high kind of day rate, quote unquote. So, so, but, so it's kind of a very profitable piece of work for me, but in absolute dollar terms, it's a relatively low project for the client, right? That they're, they're, they're just doing one or two, they're buying one or two days of my time, even if it's at a, an inflated day rate. Um, and so the good news is, is that it's easier to sell that, right? Because it's not as big an ask as selling a six month project or a 12 month project. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's great. But then what I find off the back of that is, is a number of things happen. First and foremost is you gain trust with the client in a way that you could never do otherwise, or it's very difficult to do otherwise, right? Being in a room with a client for one or two days is a great trust builder. Uh, you know, they get to know how you think, they get to just see the expertise you have, you get to reframe their thinking on really key things. It's just a, a really kind of, they leave, hopefully, with a very kind of, you know, warm and fuzzy feeling about you generally. Um, that makes it easier to sell any kind of work to them in the future, right? So that's kind of the, the, the first piece. But more importantly, or, or, or as importantly as that, is it gives it is a way for you to understand context. So I spend those workshop uh, those workshops that I sell asking as many questions as I can, and 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 you know acting like a like a complete beginner and saying, well, why does your business function this way? Or who owns that part of the business? Well, how do they work? How is that measured? How do you do quarterly reporting? Okay, who are your investors, and how do they think about the business, and what are the objectives, and how does the CEO think about this, and uh, all of these things to really just like get to a, a much better understanding of as many of the different contexts of the business as I can. Which ultimately leads to, uh, you know, the idea out of this workshop is, okay, sure, it was valuable in and of itself. You have some clear outputs so or you have some, some, some good new ways of thinking or, or new ideas. But we also now have a much better articulation of, of what the project is and what our goals are. I understand the business way better and you have trust for me. And all of those things kind of come together and, you know, I, I, I've then had situations where I will close a, you know, six-month or 12-month retainer off the back of that workshop with a single page SOW with maybe like, you know, two lines in it. And and for some of the folks that... The, <laughs> yeah, I've done it with an email. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like, okay, so great, let's do this. I'll be in your office three days a week for the next however many months. And they're like, yes, let's start. Yeah, okay. exactly. Um, and, 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 you know, in particular, so uh, one of the things that it has completely solved for me, which is a real pain point uh, sometimes before was trying to write an SOW with a client was sometimes is it, if you find yourself or, uh, you know, I found myself uh, sometimes going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth with the client saying, well, this SOW doesn't feel concrete enough or it isn't really fleshed out or we really want to make sure that it has the right objectives in there or we really want to hold you to three days in the office every week, you know, blah, 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 all these like requirements and considerations and caveats and it gets reviewed by the CMO and the CEO and everyone like, you know, and um, I found myself in some of these situations where I was like, I feel like this work wants to happen, but I just can't why is this SOW so difficult? And, and, and so I, I had that very that pain point very keen, keenly, and I feel like I've kind of completely solved that by starting with this workshop, which then, mm -hmm. I, I, in my experience at least, um, for the kind of work that I'm doing, 
has led to to a much much easier process um, of of creating SOWs and getting signed off on the work and getting started on the work. So um, that for me was a kind of a direct output or or a reinterpretation of that only let clients into the strategy door was kind of a you know you can also lead them through the door in in a, in a kind of kind of kind of deliberate way. Right. Yeah. It's really easy for for to. Uh, get follow on work if you've come in at the sort of I, I see it as an altitude thing like like if you're if you come in at the top and you do this thing and they're like man that was we we that was great investment we are so happy we spent that money with you um, thank you for those recommendations and this roadmap or whatever the output was and it's like man it sure would be nice if you could yeah. I don't know kind of help us out with you know it's right. like they're almost begging you right. to to give them a proposal for the execution piece. And totally. the, the thing that one thing that I, a distinction that I want to make, because I agree with all of it, all of this is 100 percent agreed. There's a distinction I want to make uh, about uh, the difference between the people who are probably listening to this. It's mostly soloists and uh, the Baker book, which is for for firms. Mm-hmm. Firms are, you know, there's a lot of salaries. There's a big nut to cover every month. Payroll is a big thing. They almost it's it's almost infeasible to imagine them getting rid of execution work without firing a bunch of people. Right. But that's true. But if you're a soloist, I see this in through the strategy door as a transitional phase Mm -hmm. so that, you know, if you're doing strategy work and then they're like, boy, we'd really love to do the execution. There will be a day if you, if you keep at it and you're good, there will be a day that comes when you're like turning down execution work because you have enough strategy work to completely like exceed any kind of profitability goals you ever would have imagined right where you're not taking nearly as much risk, but you've kind of, you're kind of finally benefiting from the say 10 years of experience building rails websites. You're finally benefiting from those 10 years of experience of, like you said, sort of understanding the context while you're doing the pieces and, and sharing insights that you gained along the way up the food chain to kind of like add context for other people so they can understand, you know, like make better decisions throughout the process. And if you keep accumulating that kind of an expertise, you can eventually transition your way out of execution work at all and get into just strategy work. And then after that, it leads into pure like book writing and you're just like an authority, you know, and you turn into a Seth Godin or a Malcolm Gladwell or something or or a David Baker. Yeah. Or David Baker. Right. (laughs) We're sitting here talking about. So if, if you, if you, if that's, that's not a path for everyone, not everyone, you know, some people just love copywriting and they would, or Mm -hmm. developing rails apps and they just want to keep on doing it. And that's cool too. But if you're at this point where you're, you're building rails apps and you feel like in your, especially if you're building by the hour, but you know, whatever, if you feel like, uh, client relationships are, if you're feeling drained, basically, it all boils down to feeling drained. If right. you if you feel like you're working harder for less money and your client relationships are a lot to keep up and they're not just their you know relationships are work, but they shouldn't be draining. So if you're starting to feel drained, then the question is like you know you you basically wake up in the morning and you you like you're afraid to open your email or you're afraid to answer that voicemail or you just don't want to crack open you know your text editor. You just like you're getting that drained mm-hmm. feeling. It could be that it's time to start shifting up your altitude to do more strategy work in your marketing. Just talk about strategy. Right. Once you're in a conversation with a client, if they're like, they're, they're, if you did do initially like a workshop or an innovate, like an innovation workshop or a, a design sprint or some kind of strategy engagement in architecture, then they're, they're almost definitely going to ask you, Hey, do you know somebody that could do this? Could you do this for us? Right. Or do you know somebody who can, they're almost definitely going to ask you that. So you'll have the opportunity to do the strategy work, uh, sorry, the execution work. But for me at a certain point, I didn't have to say yes to it anymore. Right. So then all of my work became like, as that, cause it's hard to build that pipeline granted. But once you get to that point, it's like, it's great because you can just, you can do that one piece that energizes you instead of drains you you can do the piece that's like like i don't need to build another login form like Mm -hmm. been there done that it's not going to make me feel accomplished at the end of the day but i know what a good one and a bad one are and i know when they do and don't work on a mobile phone you know so i can definitely help a team i can sort of to use your word steward a team through that process uh, and kind of point out the landmines and be like "Mm, i don't know if i'd make that decision because of x y and z and kind of being you know just be an advisor and not be necessarily on the front lines 
you know, digging the trenches, you kind of stand back and be like, Oh, maybe you should dig a trench over there. Right. <laughs> that kind of a thing. Right. But it's a process. It's, it's a, it takes time to get to that point. Yeah. And I think that's, so I, I completely agree with what you, everything you just said, especially that feeling of being drained, uh, by client relationships, I think is a great symptom of which you can, you can diagnose and, and address. Um, but there's another kind of related topic that I think is important to talk about. Uh, and it, it, it's, it's one of the, one of the issues I have with, uh, everyone that talks about value pricing, um, and I don't mean this in a negative way, I know you talk about value pricing a lot, no, I'm sure value it, yeah. pricing is very good, uh, we're actually very aligned on on how we think about it, but there's one thing in particular that I find from the conversations that I've had with people, which is value pricing is really, really hard when you have uncertainties about your own abilities. Oh. And what I mean by that is like, when you get it, when you set out on your own, I think a lot of the writing, and, and even some of my own writing, kind of assumes that you know what you're doing. That's, that's a supposition of mine. When people are, are asking me questions like, you know what you're doing. Like, if you don't know what you're doing, you have a different problem. Right, right. So, so you obviously have to know something about what you're doing. But you might not know everything about your, what you're doing, right? And I think a lot of people who go out on their own, there's a strong overlap with the kind of people who are curious and ambitious and want to keep learning. And I think that there is a, there's a really interesting point about this idea of strategy and stewardship and this idea of what I do personally, which which may or may not be right for everyone else, and the different ways to do it, but like I do most of my billing on a day rate, um, so not an hourly rate, but a, but a day rate. So it's kind of a bit of a fudged, you know, thing, but it is roughly days for money. And what I found really useful about that framing and about that way of thinking is it has allowed me to work on projects that I don't think I would have had the guts or the expertise to sell on value based pricing. And I've developed and I've become better at those things as a result of doing that. And so I think there's a kind of interesting point about personal development where if you want to be doing new kinds of work, which I think is a kind of a common thing for a lot of people who are like, well, I've been doing this one thing for a long time. I know how to do that super well, but I want to be doing these other things that I see other people doing. Um, you know, for me, for example, um, you know, I always knew that I wanted to do like uh, a, a kind of a brand uh, like brand architecture and kind of brand messaging. And I was like, I don't really know anything about that. That is not a thing that I have skills in. I know a lot about kind of digital marketing and some of the tactics and strategies there, but I don't really know this kind of branding world is kind of a little bit new to me. Mm. But by working on working the way that I described, I was able to work and get involved in projects. And, and I described this in the blog post, but kind of this, this kind of meandering journey from, hey, client, I see you're doing a branding project or a branding workshop. Can I just sit in on that? I think it would be, I, I'll have an interesting thing to say in the room, but mostly I'll just be learning and observing. You do that a few times and then you get to the kind of like, hey client, I think you need a branding workshop. I know some people that do that. Can I bring them in? To then like, hey, I think I'm going to lead like a small brand workshop for you guys because I think we can do it in this one controlled area to like, oh, I, I'm going to run a, a branding workshop and I'm going to figure out branding for this for this company, uh, like brand, you know, messaging design, whatever, um, uh, around that discipline. And, you know, for my own personal work, some of those, some of those journeys took multiple years, right? So that is not a, that is not a thing that happens overnight or like month to month, but it's a thing that I think is sometimes missing when we talk about pricing in particular about being okay, you know, recognizing that charging, uh, for me in particular, again, char charging a day rate, I feel like allows me to do some of those projects and, and capture some of those learnings that um, I think I would maybe have a harder time doing if I was very much focused more on kind of discrete projects value pricing and I, and I certainly don't want to put words in your mouth or, or misrepresent how you think about this but I'm curious to think about how you think about that personal development piece yeah the, the way I usually go about it, it and let me just ask one question before I launch the the if you if you gave somebody a day rate for like a two-day workshop, essentially you're giving them a price. It's two days. Uh, yes, uh, uh, agreed. And that's where I think our pricing is actually like much more aligned than... Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's fudgy, right? Like, and that's where I, th you know, I think we're both agreed that hourly pricing is the wrong way to do it. Um, <laughs> day, you know, when I talk about day rate pricing, it's, it's kind of very loosely tied to days. So uh, mm. I think there's a lot more uh, room to maneuver within that. And I, absolutely, when we talk about workshops, like, you know, it's... Uh, uh, it becomes almost entirely decoupled from from a day rate, quote unquote. Yeah. So to me, something something like a, a workshop is a great example. To me, that's a productized service, or it's a variation. It's a it's a subset of a productized service, where you've got a fixed scope. You know what the scope is. It's two days, and uh -huh. you know exactly what you're going to do, or or maybe you're going to you, you know what the agenda is. Let's put it like that. You know what you're planning to include in those days, and and you might feel like you're learning it too, and you're kind of feeling your way, but you. You have an understanding. You're not just showing up there with and winging it. 
on mm-hmm. day one. You're going to, you're going to, uh, or let me put me, even if you are, you're setting that expectation. Right. So the scope is essentially fixed. So to me, that falls under what I would call a product and service. And again, this is just terminology and semantics, but, uh, and that is exactly how I, I counsel people who are really, really having a hard time getting their heads around the idea of a val- creating a, a value-based proposal. Like I'm, I'm basically, my thing is ditching out early billing. I think it's bad and, uh, f- for your business. Yep. And for your clients' projects. But if you're doing, but it's not the only way to, value pricing is not the only way to ditch out your billing. Another way is to just give people a price mm-hmm. for a productized service or a product or, uh, you know, anything in between. And that's basically what you're doing. And so when I, when I have people, when, when you talk about the workshop, and when I have people who are like, you know, I'd really like to go deeper into this particular space. I want to niche down in this vertical. Or I want to niche down in this particular psychographic. Or I want to um, learn a new thing. I want to learn how to do branding. I've only ever done like SEO or online marketing or something. Then, okay, come up with the agenda for a, uh, some sort of fixed scope, you know, two-day workshop, one-day workshop, uh, a, uh, a road mapping process, something. Come up with a, a productized service, a description of it. And then get three beta customers and just be totally transparent. Be like, I'm going to do this at a ridiculously discounted price, or I'm going to do it for free in exchange for feedback, um, for pricing guidance. Uh, and if you like it for testimonials, and then you can launch a brand new productized service with testimonials, with tested pricing, with uh, a sense of, mm, I'm not going to say mastery, but a sense of competency mm-hmm. that you can deliver these kinds of results for other people in the future. And maybe three is not enough. Maybe three is enough. Maybe, maybe you launch with, you do three free ones and you take, you know, it takes you four hours across the course of a week or six hours across the course of two weeks to execute the, to deliver whatever the thing is. And then at the end you meet, you meet back with them, have a postmortem, like, okay, what did you think? Did it map up to the sales materials that you saw? Is it what you expected? Was there anything high value or low value? I could remove the low value things and, and emphasize the high value things. Um, would you pay, you know, if, if you were going to recommend this to a friend, you know, would thousand, a thousand dollars seem fair? Would $10,000 seem fair? Get their reaction to that. And then, you know, would you mind giving me a testimonial? Here's a few questions you could answer to make it easier for you. And then you've got, you've taken of a imagine like a a shard of like if you're if all of the things that you know are like this giant rock or a diamond and somebody you just slice off a shard of it and that's just this it's just one little piece but you put it in a box so that people who you can help with that service people who will benefit from that can understand it because they can't we're used to telling people the ingredients Right. All the individual fine print, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, it's going to have this, and the blah, 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 and it's overwhelming. Instead, you want, the ingredients are in the back of the box for a reason. The, the thing that's important, the thing that's going to get someone to pick up the box and perhaps buy it is what's on the front of the label, which is not every little thing that's in the box. It's the important things, right. the things that are important to the person you want to help. So, um, so I think that the process you just described is essentially the same thing, just using different language. You're thinking about it in a different way. And even though you're mapping it back to a, a cost, your day rate, it's, you're giving them a price. So as far as I'm concerned, that's fine with me. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's, I mean, a lot of this is semantics. I think that we're on the same page for almost all of this. Um, I think maybe one thing that I would just emphasize is that everything you described about the setting up that new service as a kind of distinct thing I think you can do a lot of that on the job with existing clients rather than having to think of it as a brand new thing with new clients and, and so on. So like, and, and I'm thinking specifically, I'm, I have some biases here about the way that I work and the work that I'm doing where, you know, maybe I'm, I'm on site with a client two or three days a week for, you know, six or 12 months. I, I, that, there's a lot of room in that kind of work to do exactly what you described about beta testing a new thing and trying it with some people and getting feedback and so on within the scope of already getting paid, <laughs> which, sure. which, 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 which I think is, a, is just another way to think about it. Uh, but you're absolutely right. And I think also it's, you know, being frank, I think what you just described is probably the weakness of my own consulting work, which is um, I don't think I spend enough time uh, doing that deliberate des- describing and packaging of things that you can buy from me. Um, and I think that that's absolutely one of the areas that uh, over the next few years, I think I'm, I'm probably going to move into more deliberately 
as a way to capture more of the value based work in, in particular you know i think there's, there's there's definitely a kind of a um there's there's definitely opportunities there um that that i'm probably leaving on the table um so you know definitely 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 room to grow great yeah hey that's a, a great point to leave it on same here yeah. <laughs> definitely room to grow Wow. So this has been a tour de force. So thanks very much, Tom, first for writing the article. I loved it. And uh, for coming on the show and talking about it with everybody. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It was a great, great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Cool. So where should people go to find out more about you? Uh, the website is the, is the place where it all lives. So tomcritchlow.com um, is, uh, is, that's my site. It's my blog. Um, uh, you know, I'm currently, the strategic independent piece that we spend a lot of time talking about today is um, kind of the, 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 the opening gambit or I guess kind of the outline for what I'm hopefully, hopefully by end of year going to turn into a book um, probably called The Strategic Independent um, that I'm trying to kind of package up a lot of these writings. So you'll see on my blog, I have a bunch of writings in this vein. Um, I also do some writing about other stuff like, uh, you know, digital media in particular where I spend a lot of time thinking and um, all kinds of other stuff. But yeah, TomCrishaw.com is is my home on the internet. Um, so uh, so head there. There's comments. Leave me a comment. My email's there. Shoot me an email. Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter. So um, yeah, I would love to hear from folks. Uh, questions, comments, feedback, insights learnings anything um, that comes from this I'm, I'm i'm all over it awesome great all right well that's it for this time around i'm jonathan stark and this has been ditching hourly hope you join us next time would you like to learn how to get paid what you're worth how about selling your expertise and not your labor we work through all of this together in the pricing seminar pre-registration starts soon and you can sign up to be among the first to know when early bird pricing is announced at thepricingseminar.com that URL again is thepricingseminar.com. Hope to see you there. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time. Or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space. Or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com call. Hope to see you there.